Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. There's so much to discuss, to learn, and to understand when you're talking about tooth development and eruption. In this episode, we're going to be specifically talking about active eruption and the process of active eruption, as well as passive eruption, and how to note the difference between the two as you are developing and understanding the eruption process. There are several episodes already that I've covered on tooth development and eruption, and there'll probably be more because there's just so many detailed things that you have to know about the eruption process. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying. There are two distinctly different types of eruption that you need to know as a dental hygiene student. Active eruption, which is the process of going through the development phase of the eruption process. Active eruption occurs as the teeth move into the dentition in each period or stage in the development process. Our patients begin the active eruption process before they begin their relationship with the dental office and begin the active process of developing a full set of teeth to chew with. Now, once a child has had active eruption of all of the primary teeth, they continue into the mixed dentition stage and will end the active eruption phase once all of the permanent teeth have erupted into the dentition. And this is typically completed by the early 20s. Think of active eruption as the vertical movement of teeth where the crown of the tooth comes into the oral cavity. Active eruption starts at the bell stage and continues until the tooth reaches full occlusion with a tooth from the opposing arch. There are two phases of active eruption. There's the pre-eruptive phase, which is the active eruption process phase of tooth development. And this occurs prior to the tooth making its debut into the oral cavity. And then there's the pre-functional phase. And this is the active eruption process phase that occurs directly after the pre-eruptive phase where the tooth has erupted into the oral cavity, but it is not considered to be functional yet since it hasn't reached the occlusal table and it's not involved in chewing or eating. So it's not really doing anything because it's not functional, right? So that's why it's the pre-functional phase. Now, passive eruption is a different type of eruption that occurs after the tooth has reached the occlusal plane. When we refer to passive eruption, now we're generally thinking about it as a type of eruption that occurs after we reach adulthood. And 
it has the potential to occur at any time in our adult life. Now, teeth do not specifically know when to stop erupting. They'll erupt until they meet an antagonist. And teeth work best when they have a tooth on the opposing arch in which to occlude with. It's important to keep in mind that at the end of the active eruption phase, the ideal location of the gingival margin, it's approximately a half a millimeter to two millimeters coronal to the CEJ. Remember, the CEJ is the cemento-enamel junction. Now, passive eruption can also occur as a result of recession. That's why it's important to know that at the end of the active eruption stage, the location of that gingival margin. Passive eruption can happen as a result of recession, as a result of advanced periodontal disease, or supra-eruption brought on by prematurely losing a tooth and this can result in a tooth no longer having an antagonist at the occlusal plane to bite against. Let's take a closer look at active eruption, which includes the same phases for both the primary and the permanent dentitions. Remember I said there's a pre-eruptive phase and a pre-functional phase. In the pre-eruptive phase, there's movement of the primary and permanent crowns from the bell stage into the location for eruption to begin. Now the tooth itself remains in a bony crypt during this phase. The pre-eruptive phase ends with the initiation of root formation. And it's important to note that the tooth has not erupted at this point, but it is in position for the eruption to occur. Kind of like when you get a plane on the runway and you're just about to take off, it's in position but it hasn't taken off yet. Now let's take a look at each of the different tooth types in the pre-eruptive phase. Starting with the maxillary molars, they develop in the area of the maxillary tuberosity. The occlusal surface slants distally and buckly, and the teeth swing into position once the maxilla has grown and developed. The mandibular molars develop in the curvature of the mandible with the occlusal surfaces slanting mesially. Now like the maxillary molars, the mandibular molars become vertically positioned once there's enough jaw growth of the mandible for this to occur. Moving on to the premolars, the premolars shift from a location deep within the jawbone to a location enclosed within the very flared roots of the primary first and second molars. Remember I said this pre-eruptive phase is the same for both the primary and the permanent dentition periods. So for the primary molars, there would not be an area for the bud to reside within the roots during the pre-eruptive phase since they're the first dentition. And this is true for the remaining permanent teeth during the pre-eruptive phase. The permanent anterior teeth develop lingual to the incisal levels of the primary teeth. Of course, there's always an exception to the rules, right? So the exception in this case is that the permanent maxillary incisors will be in a more facially positioned place as they erupt into the oral cavity. So the, when we're looking at the anterior teeth, in the mandibular anterior region, the permanent successors will be lingually placed behind the primary roots. On the maxilla, the 
anterior teeth will be facially placed against the primary roots. And the reason why you need to know this is when you're dealing with children in the clinical setting, you want to see where the teeth are located as they're erupting into the dentition to make sure they're on the right track and that their eruption pathway is not going to be impeded by something, either a retained tooth or a drifted tooth or something closing that gap so that that tooth is not able to come into position. So it's really important for you to know the location of the permanent successor teeth as they develop and move into position. Let's take a closer look at the pre-functional phase in the eruption process. The pre-functional phase begins with the initiation of the root formation, and it ends when the teeth reach the occlusal plane. The pre-functional phase includes the root formation, the eruption pathway phase, and the penetration as the three-step process. So in the first step, the root formation step, the osteoclasts temporarily deepen the bony crypt, which provides space for elongation. And then there is proliferation of the epithelial root sheath, which in turn results in the initiation of root dentin and the formation of the pulp. In the second step, the eruption pathway step, the dental sac disappears. Around and above the tooth forms an eruption pathway. There ends up being a breakdown of the connective tissue fibers and the cells immediately cover the new tooth. Now the blood vessels in the area decrease in number and the nerve fibers in the region break up into pieces and degenerate. The altered tissue over the tooth becomes visible as an inverted triangular area on a radiograph. This is what's called the eruption pathway. Macrophages appear and they aid in the destruction of the cells and the fibers. Osteoclasts and osteoblasts remodel the bone in the area of the eruption pathway. And these cells arise from the monocytes in the bloodstream. There's resorption of the primary root as well as resorption of the bone. And this allows for the tooth to move. And this whole process continues over and over and over until the tooth reaches the occlusal plane. Now, during the movement, the reduced enamel epithelium fuses with the oral epithelium. This is called united oral epithelium. Makes sense, right? The two are now united. There's also an enzyme that's produced by the reduced enamel epithelium, which aids in the movement of the tooth through the united oral epithelium. Disintegration and breakdown of the reduced enamel epithelium causes an inflammatory response, which clinically will appear as blanching and pressure on the tissue. This moves us to the third step. The third step in the pre-functional phase in the eruption process is called penetration. And in this step, the tooth breaks through the united oral epithelium into the oral cavity and makes its debut. Dun, da, da. Okay, in review, the process of shedding the primary tooth and the eruption of the permanent tooth is intermittent, right? A tooth can loosen and tighten through this whole process and go back and forth as this whole cycle moves the tooth into position. Osteoclasts differentiate 
to resorb bone and odontoclasts differentiate to resorb dental tissue. Both the odontoblast and the cementoblast work to replace the resorbed parts of the roots. The fibroblasts are involved as well, and they function to repair the periodontal ligament. Let's take a look at the process of exfoliation, which is also known as the shedding of the primary dentition. The roots of the primary teeth respond by resorbing some of its own tissue, and as a result, the pressure is released and the eruption pathway is established. There's resorption of both the cementum and the dentin, and this is accomplished by the odontoclasts. Now the dentin is resorbed first, followed by the cementum. The cementum around the tooth allows for that tooth to anchor during both the resorption and the deposition process. Now, deposition occurs when the resorption is going on to help prevent loss and occurs on and off until the primary root is gone. The periodontal ligament and the cementum both hold the tooth within the socket, and once that root is fully resorbed, the crown of the tooth falls out. When the process works correctly, the permanent tooth will move into the erupted position. Now, Sometimes patients will have what is called a retained primary tooth. And all this means is that there's no permanent successor. And if there's no permanent successor, there ends up being no resorption process. Now we use a term ankylosis, and this is used when a retained primary tooth ends up fusing to the alveolar bone. Now in some areas, there may be some resorption, but the remaining roots are firmly in place by the ankylosed tooth, and this prevents the eruption of that tooth. Now, if there is a permanent successor behind that tooth waiting to erupt, and that tooth is ankylosed, it usually needs to be extracted because the patient can't actually get that tooth out on their own. Now, sometimes, if there is no successor, patients will keep the primary tooth and they will hold on to it as long as they can. And you'll learn from dental anomalies and congenitally missing teeth that this is most commonly done on the mandibular second premolar area. It's important for you to keep in mind that there's a primary difference between active and passive eruption. And as a student, you can sometimes get a little confused about these things. Passive eruption occurs as a result of the loss of the supporting structures around the tooth. There's an old expression, long in the tooth. And this is associated with passive eruption because the length of the clinical crown becomes longer on a patient who experiences passive eruption. Now, as a patient ages, they can experience recession for a number of different reasons. What's important for you to know is that with passive eruption, the tooth is not actually moving into occlusion or out of occlusion rather, the gingival margin is what's moving and it's usually moving in an apical direction on someone who is experiencing passive eruption. I hope that makes sense. As you're tackling your studies, completing your assignments, and learning all that there is to know to become a dental hygienist, you're going to get overwhelmed at times. 
please know that the best thing you can do for yourself is give yourself some time and space and productivity limits. You cannot learn all of this stuff at the same time. So incremental learning is the best approach that you can take. These sessions are 20 minute sessions on purpose because that's about all you can handle listening to my voice giving you all of this content. Becoming a dental hygienist is time focused. It takes time to learn your clinical skills. It takes time to learn the didactic information and you become a hygienist one assignment, one lesson at a time. Keep pushing yourself forward in the right direction. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.